The Word of God, the Holy Bible, is a treasure and a gift beyond compare. Every passage of it points to a marvelous truth that God's love for man impelled him to step out of eternity and unite with his creation in order to redeem him from sin. Jesus Christ is both the author and subject of this precious word. Join us at the Superior Word each week as we search out this wonderful gift in search of Christ Jesus. Okay, we're going to go ahead and read Psalm number 16, which I have to do, uh, Psalm 16, a michtam of David, which I believe means a secret treasure. Anyway, um, preserve me, O God, for in you I put my trust. O my soul, you have said to the Lord, you are my Lord. My goodness is nothing apart from you. As for the saints who are on the earth, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. Their sorrows shall be multiplied who hasten after another God. Their drink offerings of blood I will not offer, nor take up their names on my lips. O Lord, you are the portion of my inheritance and my cup. You maintain my lot. The lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. Yes, I have a good inheritance. I will bless the Lord who has given me counsel. My heart also instructs me in the night seasons. I have set the Lord always before me because he is... At my right hand, I shall not be moved. Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh will also rest in hope. For you shall not leave my soul in Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Let's see here. And that psalm, by the way, was quoted in the New Testament, ascribed to Jesus. You will not leave my soul in Sheol, nor allow your Holy One to see corruption. Um, anyway, uh, let's see here. We're in today, Exodus 30, verses 22 through 38. And I think that's going to take us, yes, it's going to take us to the end of the uh, chapter. Marvelous, as I said, marvelous pictures of Christ in this particular sermon. Every single word. And I say this from time to time because um, I need to say it is this is one of those sermons where there's a lot of information and it's going to be like a train coming at you and you just say, I just can't, I can't assimilate all this. You don't need to. Just sit back and listen to the words unfold and how they picture Christ and that'll all be revealed at the end. The first two uh, uh, thoughts that we have are simply the Hebrew being explained, the uh, passages being explained, and then in the third uh, passage, I will explain how they point to Christ. But don't be overwhelmed. Just enjoy what you hear. Uh, we're starting in verse 22. Moreover, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, think of Jesus while I'm reading this. See if you can find any pictures of Jesus while we're reading it. Um, also, take for yourself quality spices, 500 shekels of liquid myrrh, half as much sweet-smelling cinnamon, 250 shekels, 250 shekels of sweet-smelling cane, 500 shekels of kasha, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, and a hen of olive oil. And you shall make from these a holy anointing oil and anoint anointment compounded according to the art of the perfumer, it shall be a holy anointing oil. With it you shall anoint the tabernacle of meeting and the ark of the testimony, the table and all its utensils, the lampstand and its utensils, and the altar of incense, the altar of burnt offering with its utensils, and the laver and its base. You shall consecrate them that they may be most holy. Whatever touches them must be holy. And you shall anoint Aaron and his sons and consecrate them that they may minister to me as priests. And you shall speak to the children of Israel, saying, This shall be a holy anointing oil to me throughout your generations. It shall not be poured on man's flesh, 
nor shall you make any other like it. According to its composition, it is holy, and it shall be holy to you. Whoever compounds any like it or whoever puts any of it on an outsider shall be cut off from his people. And the Lord said to Moses, take sweet spices, stacti and onyecha and galbanum and pure frankincense with these sweet spices. There shall be equal amounts of each. You shall make of these incense a compound according to the art of the perfumer, salted, pure and holy. And you shall beat some of it very fine and put some of it before the testimony in the tabernacle of the meeting where I will meet with you. It shall be most holy to you. But as for the incense which you shall make, you shall not make any for yourselves. According to its composition, it shall be holy to you, to you holy for the Lord. Whoever makes any like it to smell it, he shall be cut off from his people. It's pretty wonderful to be around a lady who's wearing a nice perfume or a guy who wears a nice cologne, which I don't always like the guy's colognes. I don't know if uh, folks like being around me on Sundays in particular because I douse myself with patchouli oil. But if you like that smell, the superior word is the place to be, most definitely. <laughs> Along with that, I rub a dose of olive oil into my beard after putting on the patchouli. And that way my beard is nice and shiny and the oil makes the patchouli last longer and it stays more pungent. As for the incense, there isn't much more pleasing to me and my senses than the smell of it when it's burning. The air fills with a wonderful aroma, and the smoke, rather than being stinging to the eyes and nose, actually adds to the ambiance. Because most incense is made in the Orient, and because Oriental religions tend to use it for a lot of crazy things like honoring the dead, Christians generally don't seem to burn as much of it as the general populace. But there is nothing unbiblical about having it going at any or all times. As far as today's passage, we will see both a wonderfully pleasant-smelling anointing oil and a most fragrant type of incense, which was to be made and used as an offering to the Lord. As God does not have a nose, at least in regards to the presence of the Lord in the tabernacle, there must be a deeper meaning behind the fragrances that are so meticulously described. And as always, there is. Every single detail has been chosen to show us snapshots of the coming Christ and his work. As always, I think you're in for a treat, a delight to the senses concerning what lies just ahead. Our text verse comes from Psalm 45. It's verses 6 through 9. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. You love righteousness and hate wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. All your garments are scented with myrrh and aloes and cassia out of the ivory palaces by which they have made you glad. King's daughters are among your honorable women. At your right hand stands the queen in gold from Ophir. God is spirit. And so who would imagine all of the detail that he created in the universe? There are aspects of creation that affect every one of our senses. And in fact, our senses were designed to appreciate these various facets of the created order in which we live and which surrounds us. But because God is spirit, the fact that we can appreciate these things shows us that he cherishes us, his creatures, enough to provide them for us in his creation. And yet there is more. His word tells us, such as in this psalm that we just read, that he actually came and participated in the creation. This psalm is ascribed to Jesus in the book of Hebrews. As he did, we can see why such minute and exacting detail is given concerning those things which are to be set apart to him alone. 
Think about this as we go through our verses today. It is all, and I mean it is all about Jesus, and it's all to be found in his superior word. And so let's turn to that precious word once again, and may God speak to us through his word today, and may his glorious name ever be praised. I have three thoughts for you today. The first is the holy anointing oil. This is verses 22 through 33. Verse 22, moreover, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, this is the third of three times in this chapter that these exact same words are stated. They were last said in verse 17. Each time the words are set off as their own verse. This time the New King James Version translates the words a bit differently. Instead of then, they say moreover. This isn't incorrect as it is translator's preference, but the words in the Hebrew are identical. They, being offset in this way, highlight that something new is coming and which will be introduced for our waiting ears. Get ready. Something new and important lies ahead. Verse 23, also take for yourself quality spices. Moses is now instructed to obtain the gifts of the people, besamim rosh, or quality of spices. The word rosh means the first, the chief, the head, or something like that. Thus, it indicates that which is preeminent or the finest. They are to be pure in nature. The Hebrew here is much more emphatic, though. It says, ve'ata ka lecha, and you take unto you. Although others are noted as assisting in the preparation of this oil, it can be inferred that it is Moses who would personally supervise the gathering and preparing of it. Verse 23 continues, 500 shekels of liquid myrrh. The first spice named is mar deror, or myrrh of freedom. Myrrh, or more, comes from marar, which means bitter. The name gives the sense of distilling in drops. It's going to be seen 12 times in the Old Testament. Of these, eight occurrences will be in the Song of Solomon. It will also be mentioned three times in the New Testament. A specific amount is presented, and therefore, it has its own significance. 500 is most readily divided as 5 by 10 by 10. 5, as we have seen countless times already, indicates grace. 10 is the number of divine perfection. It implies that nothing is wanting that the number and the order are perfect and that the whole cycle is complete. The word translated here as liquid is introduced into the Bible. It is the roar. It's found only eight times in the Bible. It means freedom, hence spontaneity of outflow and thus clear. Therefore, it indicates both liberty and purity. This is the only time that it is used of a liquid in the Bible. The other seven times it speaks of liberty, such as in the year of liberty, or as being released from captivity. Myrrh comes from a shrub, which can be obtained in one of two ways. Very interesting here. The first is the purest form, where it naturally exudes from the plant itself. This is known as the myrrh of freedom, or free-flowing myrrh. Inferior myrrh comes from the bark when incisions are made in it. Myrrh is fragrant to the smell, but bitter to the taste. Looking at the uses of myrrh in the Old Testament, the prominent idea which it symbolizes is love, but more especially love in an intimate union, but not necessarily sexual in nature. Verse 23 continues, half as much sweet-smelling cinnamon, 250 shekels. The next spice is kinamon besem, or cinnamon fragrant. This is the first of just three times that it is seen in the Old Testament and once in the New. It is from an unused root, meaning to erect. It thus applies to cinnamon bark, which is found in upright rolls. This is to be provided in one half the amount of the myrrh. 
The most basic way of obtaining the number 250 is 5 by 5 by 10. Verse 23 continues, 250 shekels of sweet-smelling cane. The third spice is kane bosem, or cane fragrant. Kane comes from the verb kana, which means to acquire or to purchase or something like that. It indicates a reed erect, such as a rod, especially one for measuring. Thus, it is the source of the word canon, which we use to indicate the authority of Scripture, as in the canon of Scripture. This spice is also specified to be 250 in measurement. Verse 24, 500 shekels of kasha. The last spice is kidah, or kasha. It is introduced here and will only be seen one more time in the Bible in the book of Ezekiel. This comes from the same root as the word kodkod, which indicates the crown of the head. The root is the verb kadah, which means to bow the head. From this, we can see bark as in shriveled rolls resembling the crown of the head. This spice is said to have almost the same flavor as cinnamon, but its smell is much more pungent and it has a more coarse texture. The measurement is to be the same as the myrrh, which is 500 shekels. So I'd like you to note the unusual forming of the numbers, 500, 250, 250, 500, okay? In all, they equal 1,500 shekels. Verse 24 going on, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, a shekel is a set measurement of weight. In this case, the weight required was to be of the shekel of the sanctuary. It is a standard shekel by which all other weights would be compared. This is the same terminology which was used in verse 13 of this same chapter. Verse 24 continues, and a hen of olive oil. Although not certain, a hen is reckoned at about three quarters of a gallon. One hen of shemen zayit, or oil of olive, is to be used. Verse 25, and you shall make from these a holy anointing oil. The purpose for all of these ingredients is for making mishchat kodesh, or anointing oil holy. Verse 25 continues, an anointment compounded according to the art of the perfumer. Rokach mir kachat maase rokeach. Anointment compound worked perfumer. It's an alliterational mouthful in the Hebrew, which I have struggled over all week, because the descriptions all come from the same root word, rokach, which indicates to perfume. The rokeach, or the perfumer, indicates a compounder, a person skilled in compounding drugs or incense or other things. Verse 25 continues, it shall be a holy anointing oil. The Hebrew is literally an oil of holy anointing. Thus, that which is anointed with it is to be considered set apart or holy. It should be noted that if these proportions were simply pounded out and mixed together, it would make a thick, gooey mess. That's all you'd have. Rather, these were softened by boiling in water to extract their essence. From this, the oil and myrrh would be mixed in and boiled again in order to evaporate the water. This would be the specific job of the rokeach, or the perfumer. We will see in Exodus 37, verse 29, that it is Bezalel who will perform this task. The care of the oil after it will be made by Eliezer, Aaron's son, and the responsibility for making it in the future would go to the priests. This is seen in 1 Chronicles chapter 9, verse 30. Verse 26, with it you shall anoint the tabernacle of meeting and the ark of the testimony. A particular order is given for the use of the holy anointing oil. First, the ohel, or the tent of meeting would be anointed. It's not the tabernacle, it's the tent. This is the tent which covered the mishchan, or the tabernacle. Everything associated with the structure would be included. 
This is seen explicitly in Exodus 40, verse 9, where it says that the tabernacle is anointed instead of the tent. Here's what it says. And you shall take the anointing oil and anoint the tabernacle and all that is in it, and you shall hallow it and its utensils, and it shall be holy. As I said, when you're translating the Bible, you need to be precise. And the New King James Version doesn't do that. They call it tabernacle here and in chapter 40 when it's two totally separate words. So I try to be precise about these things. After the anointing of the tent, the first item to be mentioned is the Ark of the Testimony. Though the details for the construction of the Ark were given first in the instruction of all of these things to be made, it is the tent which will enclose the Ark. Therefore, the implements inside are noted after the enclosure itself. The ark is in the most holy place. Verse 27, the table and all its utensils, the lampstand and its utensils, and the altar of incense. Next in order are the items which are in the holy place. The details for the showbread, the menorah, and the altar of incense are all given now. The details for the altar of incense weren't given until much, much later. But because it's enclosed within the holy place, it is mentioned now in its proper order according to the room. And if you come up here and you look at this, you'll see all of these things when you're taking communion later. Verse 28, in the altar of burnt offering, I'm sorry, the altar of burnt offering with all its utensils and the laver and its base. After the interior furniture, those outside the tent are next named. Of note is that in Leviticus 8, verse 11, it says that the altar and all of its utensils were sprinkled seven times. Just because the altar is outside and closest to the people in no way diminishes its immense importance in both what it signified to them and what it pictures in Christ. If you remember, the altar pictured our justification in Christ. That's where the sacrifice was made. And you come to that before you come to any other implement in the tabernacle. Verse 29, you shall consecrate them that they may be most holy. The anointing of the implements with the holy anointing oil consecrated them. They had been shaped by man, but they were now to be set apart to God. Only those who were also so set apart to God were from this time forward ever to touch them. Verse 29 continues, whatever touches them must be holy. Not a correct translation. Whatever touches them shall become holy. In other words, if a person were to touch them, they were to already be holy according to the item being touched, or they were to be given over to the Lord so that he might deal with them as he saw fit. This is certainly the intended meaning of this verse because it is explicitly seen in the tragic account of Uzzah, where it says this, And when they came to Nahon's threshing floor, Uzzah put out his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen stumbled. Then the anger of the Lord was aroused against Uzzah, and God struck him there for his error, and he died there by the ark of God. Uzzah was not holy according to the handling of the ark, and thus his life was forfeit to the Lord's judgment because of this error. Verse 30, And you shall anoint Aaron and his sons and consecrate them that they may minister to me as priests. After the inanimate objects were consecrated, the consecration of the men who would serve as priests is then conducted. This actually only applies to Aaron at this time. The term mashach is used here, which indicates smearing. It is he who is the one to be so anointed now. The term and his sons must be taken in the future sense concerning the one who would succeed him in the office. As we saw in the last chapter, though, some of the oil will be mixed with blood and sprinkled on Aaron, on his sons, and on their garments. But this is not what this verse is referring to. Only Aaron will be fully anointed to act as the mediator and high priest, thus picturing Christ. 
Verse 31, and you shall speak to the children of Israel saying, this shall be a holy anointing oil to me throughout your generations. The Lord claims this mixture of oil exclusively for himself. Anything anointed with it was solely his and was to be set apart to him for all the generations that the law would remain in effect. Verse 32, it shall not be poured on man's flesh. The wording here is specific in that it was not to be poured on the flesh of man. However, it is poured on Aaron, who was a man. Therefore, it shows us that Aaron, being high priest, was to be seen in type and picture as the coming Christ. Verse 32 continues, Nor shall you make any other like it according to its composition. It is holy, and it shall be holy to you. The wording here should read, after its proportion, not according to its composition. The word is matkonet, and it indicates a measurement, quota, or proportion. The people were not forbidden from using these same ingredients, nor were they forbidden from using the same combination of them. What is forbidden is using the same ingredients and proportions of them. The intent is that what was reserved for the Lord's use was to be only for the Lord's use. This particular mixture was deemed holy, and therefore the proportion itself has particular significance. Verse 33, whoever compounds any like it, or whoever puts any of it on an outsider shall be cut off from his people. No person was to make the same compound as has been described here. Further, it was never to be used on a layman. The word here for outsider is the Hebrew word zur and it indicates another. No person who was not qualified by being chosen for the anointing was to have it put on them. Nobody. The penalty for this was to be cut off from his people. The word for his people is in the masculine plural. Therefore, it is being used in a particular sense. It is extremely close to the general term for people, but the specific form of the word consistently speaks of someone of his father's kin. Any such person was to lose their rights of paternal kinship. Holy anointing oil with a smell, wonderful and sweet, shall be made for the service of the Lord. The exact mixture when it was complete was to be set apart for him alone, according to his word. With it, the articles of service would be anointed, and with it, the priests would be anointed too. These things are according to what the Lord has said, and so in each detail is Moses to exactingly follow through. Thus consecrated and holy were these things to be, and they would be that way throughout the time of the law. But they are only types and shadows of the coming Christ, you see. And so from these things, pictures of Christ, we can draw. Our second thought today is the holy incense. It's verses 34 through 38. Verse 34, And the Lord said to Moses, the words here are very similar to verse 22, but they are not the same. It is as if what is being said now is a continuation of what was started in verse 22, but with a different subject. The oil and the incense are being drawn together into one concept. Verse 34 continues, take sweet spices, kalacha samim, take to you samim. The word samim has no exact word that we can use to translate it. A close choice would be the word fragrances, take to you fragrances. Verse 34 continues, stakti. Nobody is really sure what nataf or stakti is. The word stakti comes from the Greek translation of the Old Testament. However, we can find out something from the Hebrew. The word nataf means to drop, as in a drop of dew. This word comes from the verb nataf, which means something like distilling gradually and thus falling in drops. It is a resin of some sort from a plant, 
However, it being unknown what resin, the substance is not what is important, but the act of dropping is. The verb nataf means to fall in drops, and so figuratively, in the Bible, it means to speak by inspiration or to prophesy. Verse 34 continues, and onicha. Onicha, or shechelet in Hebrew, speaks of the aromatic shellfish. When burnt, its claw produces a strong odor. The word comes from the same root as shechal, meaning a fierce lion. That root probably means to roar. The two words may meet in the thought of peeling off by concussion of sound. Verse 34 continues, and galbanum, chelbena, or galbanum, is only found here in the Bible, but it is apparently well known to chemists. Different plants are known to produce it. When it burns, it has a strong and pungent odor, which is not nice smelling in itself, keep that in mind, but it is used to bring out the richer smells of other spices, and it prolongs their burning. The word comes from chelev, which means fat, and thus the best, or the finest. Verse 34 continues, and pure frankincense with these sweet spices. The words in Hebrew are actually reversed here. It says fragrances and pure frankincense. In other words, the frankincense is in addition to the other spices. Levona, or frankincense, is introduced here. It comes from the word lavan, which means brick, and thus it gives the idea of white, perhaps because of the smoke that it makes when it's burning. There is an adjective attached to the frankincense, though. It properly reads, Ulevona zaka, and frankincense pure. Verse 34 continues, There shall be equal amounts of each. Bad bevad yiye. Alone by alone there shall be. The sense probably means that they were beaten separately and then mixed together. Thus the proportions would be in equal amount. Verse 35, you shall make of these an incense, a compound, according to the art of the perfumer, salted, pure, and holy. The fragrances combined with the frankincense was to be compounded as a perfumer would do. Older versions say that they mixed or tempered together them. But the word used is malach, the verb form of salt. Thus the mixture was to be salted. Salt was considered an integral part of offerings to the Lord. This incense was to be offered to him by the priests with salt, just as the people's offerings were to be. This is seen in Leviticus chapter 2. And every offering of your grain offering you shall season with salt. You shall not allow the salt of the covenant of your God to be lacking from your grain offering. With all your offerings you shall offer salt. Because of the ingredients and its salting, it is thus described with an adjective and a noun. It is tahor kodesh, pure, holy. Verse 36, and you shall beat some of it very fine. The word shachak, or beat, is now introduced into the Bible. It will be used just four times. It means to pulverize. Also, the word dakak, or very fine, is also introduced. It comes from the same idea of being crushed or pulverized. The incense was to be completely crushed to powder. Verse 36 continues, and put some of it before the testimony in the tabernacle of meeting, where I will meet with you. The portion that was taken from the main hole, after it was beaten fine, was to be placed before the testimony. What this means is that it is the portion to be burnt upon the altar of incense. The compound was one large mass, but a portion was taken off, pounded, and burnt in the regular hours of incense offering. The idea is that it would mix better and it would be easier to spread on the coals, and further, it would burn more purely and ascend more quickly. Verse 36 continues, it shall be most holy to you. 
In contrast to the anointing oil, this is considered not just holy, but Kodesh Kadashim, or holy of holies. This implies that it was set apart for the use of the Lord alone, as is seen in the next verse. Verse 37, But as for the incense which you shall make, you shall not make any for yourselves according to its composition. It shall be to you holy for the Lord. This provision is similar to that of the anointing oil. No incense was ever to be made which was according to the same proportions. Instead, it was to be considered for the sole and sacred use of an offering to the Lord. Verse 38 finishes up with these words, Whoever makes any like it to smell it, he shall be cut off from his people. And again, the same prohibition is given concerning replicating this incense as was given for replicating the anointing oil. Any person who so made it was to be cut off from the rites of paternal kinship. Sweet-smelling spices combined into one shall be used to make a holy incense for me. And every detail points to the coming of Christ, God's Son. This is the reason for such specificity. The work that he will do is revealed in each sweet smell, and the salt speaks of him and his works also. Every detail has a wondrous story to tell, and as you ponder each detail, their meaning you will know. And so look into the things as they are recorded for you, ponder them and take each thing to heart. In so doing, there is a blessed reward. It is true. Marvelous things will this precious word to you impart. Our third thought today is pictures of Christ and his work. As always, the Lord is giving us specific instructions, not just for us to see what the priests did and what was expected of them, but to show us types and pictures of Christ and his work. The anointing oil was first said to be of basamim rosh, or the first or preeminent spices. Each is a foreshadowing of the preeminence of Christ. Myrrh comes from the word marar, or bitter. As I noted, the main significance of myrrh in the Old Testament passages reveals the prominent idea of love, but more especially love in an intimate union, but not necessarily sexual in nature. Understanding the work of Christ for us, nothing could be more obvious than what he did and how intimately we are connected to him. The myrrh here is described as mar de roar, or the myrrh of freedom. Without a doubt, this signifies the bitterness of Christ that he was willing to go through in his earthly life in order to secure our freedom. It is reflective of his words cited in the synagogue in Nazareth, which he read from the book of Isaiah and which is recorded in the book of Luke. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty, think of the myrrh, those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. It should be noted that there are three times that myrrh is mentioned in the New Testament. The first was presented to him at his birth by the Magi in Matthew chapter 2. Once it is recorded as having been used in his burial in John 19 verse 39. And the third time was in Mark 15 with these words. Then they gave him wine mingled with myrrh to drink, but he did not take it. Notice that the myrrh was mingled with wine to form a gall which would deaden his pain, but he refused it. Because of his love for us, he was unwilling to dilute the pure myrrh of freedom which was provided to redeem us. Our liberty and our freedom from oppression came at a very, very high cost. The kinamon or cinnamon is found four times in the Bible. Two point to Christ and two point to harlotry. The one in this chapter is used to picture Christ's work. The one in the Song of Solomon 4 verse 14 is used to describe the bride of the bridegroom and thus it pictures the redeemed of Christ. 
The other two uses are in Proverbs chapter 7, where a harlot spices her bed with cinnamon and other fragrances, and in Revelation 18 verse 13, which is connected to Mystery Babylon, the mother of harlots. The word comes from a root meaning to erect. Thus there is a house which is being erected by the Lord for his people. And there is a false one which is being erected by the false religious system of the world for those who would pursue her harlotry. One will stand forever, the other will be forever destroyed. The third spice is cane bosem, or sweet-smelling cane. Cane comes from the verb cana, which means to acquire, or purchase, or something like that. It indicates a reed as a rect, or a rod, especially one for measuring. It is the source, as I said, of the word canon, which we use to indicate the authority of Scripture, as in the canon of Scripture. Thus, this spice is used to indicate the word of God, which permeates throughout the anointing oil. It is reflective of Christ, the word of God, who embodies it and reveals it. His word is that which is used as the standard measure for the acquisition and purchase of God's people. The fourth spice is kidah, or kasha. It is derived from the same root as kodkod, which indicates, as I said, the crown of the head. The root is the verb kadah, which means to bow the head. In this, we see Christ's submission to God in all ways. This is evident throughout the Gospels, which record his earthly ministry, and it is well summed up in Hebrews chapter 10 with these words, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. In burned offerings and sacrifices for sin, you had no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come. In the volume of the book, it is written of me to do your will, O God. This word, kidah, is found only twice in the Bible. The second is seen in Ezekiel 27, verse 19, as one of the goods which is traded by the kingdom of Tyre. The leader of Tyre is used as an allegory for Satan by Ezekiel. Samuel Ridout explains the symbolism. He says, For the world would make merchandise of the excellencies of Christ, and Satan, its prince, seek to rob the Lord of what he is alone due. The weight of the four spices was meticulously provided. In order, they were 500, 250, 250, 500. First, four, as in the four spices, is the number of that which is created. It is the world number. Individually, they reduce each into digits of 10 and 5, or divine perfection and grace. Cumulatively, though, they equal 1,500, and thus they reduce to 10, 5, and 3. Three signifies that which is real, substantial, entire, and complete. Therefore, the four together point to the entirety of the divine perfection and grace towards God's creation. These, not surprisingly, then prefigure the four Gospels. As this is so, and the weight of the first and the fourth are the same, and the weight of the second and the third are the same, we should find a pattern in the Gospels according to these four spices. The first is myrrh, and it is what was presented to Jesus in Matthew at, when he was a newborn child. Myrrh speaks of bitterness, as in the bitter herbs of the Passover. Thus it reflects the king who came to die for his people as the Passover lamb. The fourth is the same weight and corresponds to John. Its root indicates bowing the head as an act of obedience, and this is what the divine Son of God portrayed in John came to do. He came in obedience to the Father. The second, kinamon besem, or cinnamon fragrant, comes from an unused root which means to erect. It reflects Christ in the book of Mark, the servant or the builder of the house for his people. And the third, kane bosem, or cane fragrant, comes from the verb kana, which means to acquire, purchase, or so forth. 
It is the source of the word canon, which we use to indicate canon, the authority of scripture. In it, we see Christ, the son of man who acquired his people by fulfilling the law, the rod of God's measurement. The second and the third spices were one half the weight of the other two. This speaks of lowliness. In contrast to the king in Matthew and in the son of God in John, the gospels of Mark and Luke speak of the servant and the son of man both lowly stations in relation to their counterpart. Despite the lowly weight, though, of these two middle spices, they are the only two that are described by the term bosem, or fragrant. It is the life of the servant and the man, Christ, which was considered a fragrant offering to God. Though being lowly, or more rightly, because of the voluntary lowly station that he took, there is a markedly sweet fragrance connected to it. Each of these spices was said to be according to the shekel of the sanctuary. In other words, his work is according to God's divine standard by which all else is compared. It is by him and his work that all of the holy attributes of God are measured. Next was the measure of olive oil. This is the vehicle by which Christ's work was affected. It is the anointing of the spirit upon him. This was seen, for example, in the book of Acts 10.38, where it says that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. The spices, though differing in weight, all diffused into the oil evenly, resulting in all being equally on display and none of them having priority over the other. Thus, we see in equal measure Christ the King, Christ the Servant, Christ the Son of Man, and Christ the Son of God. Each radiates out equally, forever revealing the mystery of Christ. To summarize, in the anointing oil, we see Christ the King, the myrrh of freedom, giving his life for our liberty. We see Christ the servant, the builder of the house for his people. We see Christ the Son of Man, who acquired his people by fulfilling the law, the rod of God's measurement, and we see Christ, the Son of God, who stepped out of his eternal realm to do his Father's will. This oil, after it was made, was used to anoint the tabernacle, every piece of furniture, and the high priest, and all of which has perfectly and completely pointed to Christ in our past sermons. The anointing of the Spirit was applied to every aspect of his life, work, and ministry, past, present, and future diffusing out his fragrance in the great plan of redemptive history. Now, the one thing about this, we have a prohibition not to use any lichen on any other person points to anointing a false Messiah. And that's why the term paternal kinship is used, as if somebody says, this is my Messiah. And lots of people throughout the ages have claimed to be the Messiah. It is showing that that person is to be cut off entirely from his people. The rights of paternal kinship are taken away. It's a very important point to remember. What is remarkable is that this anointing oil is described directly after the bronze laver that we saw last week. The laver was used as a means of cleansing from defilement. It signified sanctification from all that would hinder our walk with God. The anointing oil is just the opposite. It signifies the anointing of the Spirit, an emblem of sanctification for our walk with God forward, propelling us ever forward. After the anointing oil, the holy incense was described. Moses was told to take fragrances for this incense. The first is nataf, or stakti. The word means drop, but it is connected to the verb, which means to speak by inspiration or to prophesy. This signifies the word of Christ, the divine word of inspiration and prophecy. The next was shechalet, or onicha. 
The word comes from a root meaning to roar and thus signifies the power of the word of Christ. He is the Lion of Judah and his word issues forth like a roar. The third is Chelbena or Galbanum. This comes from the root Chelev, which means fat and thus the best or the finest. It therefore indicates that the work of Christ is the finest, the epitome of all works before God the Father. This particular spice was noted as not smelling very nice by itself, but it is used to bring out the richer smells of the other spices and it prolongs their burning. Thus, this aspect of Christ is not considered nice in and of itself. His work fulfilling the law included his atoning death under the law. And yet it is that which brings out all of the other aspects of his work and makes them everlasting for his redeemed. The fourth ingredient is levona, excuse me, or frankincense. It comes from the word lavan, which means brick. The concept of a brick in the Bible is one of human work. We've seen that again and again and again in the Bible. At the Tower of Babel, the people made bricks in order to work their way to heaven. In Egypt, the people were forced to make brick without straw and were unable to perform their duties. In both instances, pictures were being made of man's futile attempt at pleasing God through works. Their brick making was tainted and it was unacceptable. This spice for the incense is contrasted to that. It contains an adjective so that the words properly read ulevona zaka and frankincense pure. This pure frankincense symbolizes Christ's perfect works, which are acceptable to God. With the four characteristics of Christ seen in the spices, we were then given the words bad, bevad, yeye, alone by alone there shall be. The sense is that these aspects of Christ's are separate, but when mixed together, the portions are equal in amount. Once they were compiled, they were to be salted. In the Bible, no amount of salt is ever detailed or specified. Because of this, it indicates an unlimited amount. Salt signifies covenant faithfulness, incorruptibility, and that which provides flavor. It was worked into the compound, and each aspect reflects the work of Christ. In the salt, we see his covenant faithfulness, his incorruptible nature, and his adding flavor to the life which we are captured in, granting us a new taste never before experienced. Through his word, represented by these four spices and salt, an offering can be made to God, which is Tahor Kodesh, pure, holy. After the incense was made, the next instructions were given, which was that it was to be beaten very fine and placed before the testimony. The incense was to be prepared so that it would diffuse in the quickest and most thorough manner possible. To grasp this, the symbolism of incense needs to be understood. In both testaments, and I told you this a week or two ago, incense is directly equated with prayer. And thus the prayers of Christ in his ministry, based on his person and work, are what are being pictured right here. It symbolizes the office of high priest, mediating between God and man. This is why the incense was termed Kodesh Kadashim, or Holy of Holies. Only Christ's prayers are truly acceptable to God, because only he is without sin. Therefore, as our mediator, our prayers are only acceptable to God through him. But when we belong to him and our prayers reach to God through him, they are holy of holies, acceptable to God. Finally, today, in both the anointing oil and in the holy incense, there were similar prohibitions concerning making either in the same proportions and or using them in an unauthorized manner. These carry exactly the same connotation. There is one Lord, one Christ, 
and one path to God, which is alone through what he has done. The Spirit of God does not reside on any person outside of Christ, and people's prayers are not heard by God outside of Christ. Not popular in the world we live in today, but that is what the Bible teaches. We are never to mix our worship of God or our prayers to God with those who are not of God in Christ. This doesn't mean that we can't have unsaved people in a church. That should be expected. Nor does it mean that we can't walk into a religious service of another faith to learn what they're up to or to perform a necessary function. The example of Naaman the Syrian performing his duties in the Temple of Ramon shows us that this is true. What it does mean is that we are not to participate in religious services with others who are not of the faith. Our worshiping with them is mixing the holy with the profane. If we publicly pray with Mormons, Buddhists, Muslims, or any other religion, we are implicitly condoning their faiths in their own eyes. We are demonstrating openly and publicly that the spirit which anoints us and the Christ who mediates for us is on the same level as their false god. This is not to be condoned. As we have seen today, everything about these two mixtures points to Christ and to his work. The amazing thing is that because of him, we too are now authorized to share in what these picture. We are anointed with the same Holy Spirit because of him, and we are given the same right to offer our prayers to God through him. Who here has never called on Jesus and yet prays to God? I tell you right now that the symbolism of these things and the words of the rest of the Bible show that your prayers go unheard by his ears. The only prayer that God wants to hear from you is the prayer of accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Should you choose to do that today, you too will be anointed with the Holy Spirit and your prayers will be then holy and acceptable to the Lord. I would ask you to choose life, to choose Christ, and to do it today. And very quickly, I can tell you how to do that if you've never received Jesus Christ. Because here you are, you're praying to God, and people say, I don't pray to God, I don't even believe in God. And yet when their child gets run over, the very first words that they utter, every human says, that's right, oh God, we know he's there. And when we come into the straits, they say there is no uh, atheist in a foxhole. When you're in the straits, the first thing you do is start praying to God, deliver me from this problem, oh God. And he ain't going to hear you. I'm sorry, your prayers are not being offered to him through Jesus Christ, who is the only satisfactory mediator. He's the only one. And that's pictured in the frankincense, the brick. Because all of our bricks are, are tainted with sin, and his aren't. And so his work was sufficient before God the Father. It says in the uh, Bible that all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. It's an infection in us. It permeates us. And God can have no fellowship with that which is inherently sinful. And so all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death. We die because we have that sin in us. And if we don't get that corrected before we die, it's going to be forever. Forever separated from God the Father. And so what did he do? He did something wonderful by sending his son into the world to redeem us. It says, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now let me ask you something. If God gives a gift, or if you give a gift, anybody gives a gift, and then you take it back, is it a gift? No. This is something that God does for you, that if you receive, it is once and it is for all. It is given to you as a gift. And if he were to take it back, then it was never a gift in the first place. But he offers the gift of his son. And through that gift comes eternal life. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord, pictured by all of these things. It's a ton of information rushing at you, and yet everything there is trying to wake us up to the fact that Jesus loves us enough 
to come and to fulfill all of these pictures, which they had to go through. They had the temple and the sanctuary, and they had to worship God in a certain way. But it was to show us what Christ, what God was going to do in Christ by sending him for our sins. And it says, if you call on the name of the Lord, you will be saved. It doesn't ask you to do anything great. You don't have to go to the top of a high mountain with a hundred pound brick on your shoulder. You don't have to help an old lady across the street, although I would suggest you do if she needs the help. None of those things are going to get you an inch closer to God. But what will is having faith that God has sent his son to take away your sin. And if you receive that, he will forgive you and he will grant you that eternal life by anointing you with the same spirit that he anointed his own son with. His son, it permeated him. With us, we're sealed with it. It's a guarantee that we are forever redeemed by God. So if you haven't done it, I would ask you to do it today. To call on Jesus Christ to be saved from your sins and to live a life that is pure and holy. Tahor Kodesh to the Lord. Okay? I have a closing verse for you today from uh, 2 Corinthians 2. It's verses 14 through 16. Now, thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. For we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one, we are the aroma of death leading to death. And to the other, the aroma of life leading to life. And who is sufficient for these things? Are you? Call on Jesus Christ and you will be sufficient for these things. Next week, uh, the guys that are actually going to do the work. Exodus 31, 1 through 11. What they will build is no prefab. It's entitled Bezalel and a holy ab. That'll be our 87th Exodus sermon. And the Lord has you exactly where he wants you. He has a good plan and a purpose for you. And even if a deep ocean lies ahead of you, he can part the waters and he can lead you through it on dry ground. And so follow him and trust him. And he'll do marvelous things for you and through you. All right. Now, we had a lot of verses today. Last week we had, I think, five. And so we had a real quick poem. Get out your pillows, folks. It's called The Oil and the Incense. Moreover, the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, These are the words he began relaying. Also, take for yourself quality spices, 500 shekels of liquid myrrh, half as much sweet-smelling cinnamon, 250 shekels for sure, 250 shekels of sweet-smelling cane, 500 shekels of cassia also, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, and a hint of olive oil, as you now know. And you shall make from these a holy anointing oil, one set apart, an anointment compounded according to the perfumer's art. It shall be holy anointing oil, so you see. For follow these directions ever so carefully. With it you shall anoint the tabernacle of meeting and the ark of testimony, as I to you tell, the table and all its utensils, the lampstand and its utensils as well. And the altar of incense you shall anoint too. The altar of burned offering with all of its utensils and the labor in its base, so you shall do. You shall consecrate them that they may be most holy, Whatever touches them must be holy. These things are set apart to me. And you shall anoint Aaron and his sons, you see, and consecrate them, that they may minister as priests to me. And you shall speak to the children of Israel, saying, This shall be a holy anointing oil to me throughout your generations, as I am now relaying. It shall not be poured on man's flesh, nor shall you make any other like it. According to its composition, it is holy, and it is, shall be holy to you, I submit. Whoever compounds any like it or whoever puts any of it on an outsider shall be cut off from his people. You shall stand by this instructive divider. 
Then the Lord said to Moses, Take sweet spices, stacti and onicha, as I to you teach, and galbanum and pure frankincense with these sweet spices. There shall be equal amounts of each. You shall make of these an incense, a compound according to the art of the perfumer. Salted, pure, and holy will be its contents. Then you shall beat some of it very fine and put before the testimony some of it in the tabernacle of meeting where I will meet with you as I now submit. It shall be most holy to you. Following these instructions, you shall do. But as for the incense which you make, this I tell, you shall not any for yourselves make according to its composition as well. It shall be to you holy for the Lord, only for his sake. Whoever makes any like it to smell it, he shall be cut off from his people. So I now submit. Wonderful pictures of Christ and his work for us are revealed in the holy oil and the incense of Israel. Every word shows us more hints of Jesus and of his marvelous works each does tell. Thank you, O God, for such a wonderful word. Thank you for the mysteries which are hidden there. Each that we pull out speaks of Jesus our Lord. Thank you that in his goodness we too can share. For all eternity we shall sing to you our praise, yes, from this time forth and for eternal days. Hallelujah and amen. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the wonderful, wonderful pictures of Christ that keep permeating the pages of Scripture. And it's a long study. It's a hard study. It bends our minds, which is something that we generally don't like. We go to school and we frustrate our ways through the, uh, the each course. But in the end, we've learned something important which will guide us in our job or our vocation. How much more should we struggle through the nuances of your word so that we're set for a walk with you that is perfect and pure and holy. And so thank you for these wonderful pictures of Jesus that are found in here. And thank you that they're so precise. The the weight of certain incense, incense in the order that they're given shows us a, a marvelous picture of the four Gospels and what occurred in them. How can it be that there's such precision in your word? And yet there it is, waiting for us to find it out. Thank you for these things. Thank you for all you've done for us. Lord, I would pray for each person that's here that you would bless them in their hearts and bless them in their souls. Take care of their needs in the week ahead and lead them um, along paths of righteousness for your name's sake. And Lord, there are people here that uh, uh, are are not here that uh, are attending online, maybe sick or uh, going through troubles and trials such as Darlene and Arlena and uh, Craig, and we would pray for them. And anybody else that's out there that uh, is just facing their own internal struggles or financial struggles or whatever else, be with them, Lord. Help them through these things and guide them. And, Lord, we thank you for the chance to participate in the Lord's table and to take the communion, which we share with you because of what Jesus Christ did. Help us to handle this as holy and and, uh, treat you honorably in our lives throughout the days and the weeks and the years that we have ahead of us. Help us to honor you and glorify you in all ways. And give us the boldness to speak out about Jesus. Help us to do that because it's the only way to be reconciled to you. And people all over the world are so lost. They're so confused. Help us to be that light that we should be, which you have asked us to be. Help us to do it according to your wisdom. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We get the instruction for the Lord's Supper directly from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, right out of the Bible. And uh, the only thing we're going to add in is just the prayer that the Lord would have said over those when he uh, said them all those years ago on the night before he was crucified. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread and he gave thanks over it. He would have said these words, 
Baruch Ata Adonai Nai Elohenu Malechaolam Hamotzi Lechem Min Haaretz. Blessed art thou, O Lord or God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth. And he broke it and he said, Take and eat. This is my body which was broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he took the cup after supper, and he would have blessed us as well. He would have said, Baruch Ata Adonai Eloheinu Olam Bore Peri Agafen. Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, creator of the fruit of the vine. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. The body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. The body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. The body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. The body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. The body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. The body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. The body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. The body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. The body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, I already blessed you with him, but that's all right. <laughs> the body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's all right. Double blessing. <laughs> the body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. The body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. The body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. What's your name again? That's right. The body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. The body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. The body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ.
Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Ghost, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this wonderful chance to come and share in this table each week. Thank you for all you've done for us, how good you are to us. Lord, once again, I pray for each person that's struggling with their, the many, many things that are just sent to me each week, and I pray for them now. Forgive my failing to remember them individually, but uh, you know all of them where I'm failing in that, and I, I just ask that you forgive that of me, and uh, just search all of our hearts and our bodies and our minds and those things which distract us from a right walk with you. Help us to pursue you all the days of our life and to give you the glory that you're due. Help us to do this, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.